0: The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au This is going to be the word of the Lord for us this morning. Ruth chapter 3, let me read. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, this is Ruth speaking, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he, will, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until, morning, until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, "'Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor.' And he said, "'Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out.' So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "'How did you fare, my daughter?' then she told her that the man had done then she told her all that the man had done for her saying these 6 measures of barley he gave to me for he said you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law she replied wait my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest but will settle the matter today This is our our third message in the book of Ruth. It's act three, you might say. You might remember from the first message, we noted that this is a a beautiful story, a story where God, in fact, isn't one of the, the main actors. God is more the director behind the scenes. We saw in Ruth one that Naomi found herself in a hopeless situation. She was empty in the fields of Moab. She'd gone to Moab to escape death. She'd gone with her husband and her two sons. But instead of escaping death, she experienced the bitterness and emptiness of death. The death of her husband and the death of her two sons. All she had when she returned home to Israel was a loyal daughter-in-law and a glimmer of hope in the Lord. Last week in chapter 2, Ruth, the daughter-in-law of Naomi, goes to the fields of Israel, to God's fields. She goes there looking for food. What she finds is not just food for a day, She actually finds hope in the fields of Israel. Hope that would last beyond the season that she finds herself in. That's because she finds a man named Boaz. And we're told that Boaz is a redeemer. We've seen as we've gone throughout the first two chapters, that God works through the faithful obedience of his people to bless and to bring about his redemptive purposes. I wonder, where will you see the hand of God behind the scenes today? Well, today in chapter 3, one thing we'll notice is that structurally it's very similar to chapter 2. You start with this scene, this plan where Naomi and Ruth are together and they're talking about a plan. Following from that, we'll see an interaction between Ruth and Boaz. And finally, we'll see a point of praise between Naomi and Ruth. Well, different to chapter 2, we find that chapter 3 is not driven by a need to find food. It is driven by a quest for rest. And this quest for rest required an, an unconventional plan, we might say. It wasn't just an unconventional plan, it was a risky plan. Risky, maybe not risky. Risky is drinking a, a bottle of milk the day after it's expired, isn't it? The day after it reaches its use-by date. This probably isn't a risky plan. This is an, an audacious plan. It involved the process of washing, of anointing with perfumes and oils, and of changing clothes. But this is basically Ruth signaling that her time of mourning for her husband, Malon, was over, and she is open to marriage. The plan would have Ruth go at night to a place called the threshing floor, which is an elevated place away from the city. It's a place where men would go to work, maybe in the early evening, to prepare the harvested grain for consumption or for, for sale. There they would go about a process where they would the husks of the grain would be separated from the, the kernels inside after they had done their work during the day, the men would remain. Some would be on night duty and they would guard their their piles of grain so that no one came in and just flogged it from them. It seems that Naomi had learned that Boaz was on shift this night. Once Boaz had finished his work and his meal, Ruth was to then go to where he was sleeping it's where he was guarding his grain to uncover his feet and to lie down. Now throughout this chapter, we might not pick it up in our cult- cultural context, but throughout this chapter, the writer is creating an immense tension. See, those who are the original readers of Ruth, the original Jewish readers of Ruth would have noticed this tension. He uses language that could open the door to allow his readers to question Ruth's motives, to misinterpret her actions. And rather than interpret them as someone who had good intentions, to interpret her actions of those of an immoral woman, See, that the interaction happens at the threshing floor. It seems that the threshing floor was sometimes a place where some would engage in illicit sexual behaviour. See, knowing that at winnowing time, the men would be down away from the city at the threshing floor, spending the night there guarding their grain. Prostitutes would often go out to them and offer their services. Now, Boaz, a bit of background here, is actually a descendant of Perez. Now, Perez was the result of Judah's illicit behavior with Tamar. Tamar had posed as a prostitute. You can read about that in Genesis 38. There's also wine involved. And another thing to notice is that Ruth is a descendant of Moab. Now, why does that mean anything? Well, in Genesis 19, verses 30 to 38, we have the story of Lot and his daughters. We have the story of where the Moabites came from. There was a lot of alcohol involved there. I'll let you read that one for yourself. Ruth, we're told, was to go and uncover Boaz's feet and then lie down. Now the word feet can also be used to refer to the legs and the thighs of a person. Well, the question is, how far up was she going to go? How far up was she going to uncover Boaz? And then she was to go and lie down. Well, lie down and do what exactly? Exactly. Some Jewish Jewish readers might be really wary of Ruth here. We're told already that Boaz is a worthy man. Last week we were told he's a man of noble character and here we have this Moabite woman coming to the threshing floor to interact with him. Maybe the great faithfulness that she'd shown her mother-in-law in chapter one was born out of ulterior motives. So as Ruth now goes to the threshing floor, as she goes to enact this plan, she does so under a cloud of suspicion. But Ruth does not have any ulterior motives. She's just faithfully following the directions of her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's on a quest for rest. And in doing so, Ruth will display amazing courage and vulnerability. For those who are familiar with the card game 500, she's she's called Open Mazaire. She's laying her cards face up on the table for all to see. She's not keeping them close to her chest. She places her cards face up in front of Boaz and proposes marriage. It appears there's just two sentences in our Bibles. Look at verse 9. I am Ruth. Your servant, she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Not sure how you might have proposed to your significant other. They're not the normal words that we might hear used today. But these are very clear what she is asking of Boaz. She's asking for marriage. You can practice all you like, but nothing can prepare you for the moment when you get down on one knee, hey? Nothing could really prepare Ruth for what what was about to come, going to the threshing floor and proposing marriage to Boaz. She's putting it all on the line here. She is vulnerable. She is courageous. And maybe she went over and over in her mind, played it through. What am I going to say? What am I going to say when he speaks? She certainly have no, had no certainty of a yes, did she? Now, ladies, when, when a bloke proposes to you, he's pretty certain he's going to get a yes. I, I, I didn't drop the question to Anna unless I knew. There's <laughs> a pretty good chance she was going to say yes. Otherwise, that's a pretty big matzo ball to leave out there, hey? <laughs> Ruth had no certainty of a yes. In fact, it seemed like the, the odds were stacked against her. It would need an act of God for things to go her way. And some of the reasons for this is, is the setting where they are. Again, she's at the threshing floor, a place away from the accountabilities of the city, a place where people could sneak in and out unseen in, with the purpose of engaging in immoral activities. But another reason against her is also the status reason. See, Ruth was an uninvited visitor there. She was intruding on Boaz's turf. She was a younger person proposing to an older person, she was a servant proposing to a master. She was a poor person proposing to a wealthy person. She was a Moabite woman proposing to an Israelite man. The odds are stacked against her. It would take an act of God. What are the possible outcomes that could happen? when Ruth turns up and proposes. There's at least four. It is possible that Boaz might not wake up at all. That would go down like a lead balloon, hey? And then Ruth would have to just sneak off and and, and leave without making the proposal at all. That's something that could happen. Another thing that could happen, Boaz could wake up but yet misinterpret Ruth's actions as those of an immoral woman and take advantage of her. That could happen. Or a third thing could happen. Boaz could wake up. He could again misinterpret Ruth's actions as those of an, of an immoral woman. But rather than take advantage of her as a man of virtue, he might shoo her away and have nothing more to do with her. That's very likely, isn't it? Of course, there's a, a fourth option. Boaz could wake up, interpret Ruth's actions correctly, and respond favorably to her proposal. Ruth's words, her words of proposal are simple and honest, aren't they? I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We notice in those words there that she is humble and honest about who she is. I'm just Ruth, your servant. I bring nothing to this relationship, nothing that makes me deserving of your favor. She's also upfront with what she needs from Boaz. Spread your wings over your servant, she says. Marry me. Protect me. Provide for me. Save me. Be the one through whom God uses to provide refuge for me. I say, be the fulfiller of the blessing that you pronounced on me. Back in Ruth chapter 2. Not that she would have said back in Ruth chapter 2. We see under there the the words on Boaz's lips. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And the reason why Ruth asked Boaz to do this is because she knows exactly who Boaz is. She says, You are a redeemer. See, Ruth knows that Boaz holds the position needed to redeem her. She also knows that he has the power required to redeem her. Her question is, Boaz, do you have the will to redeem me? And Boaz's response to Ruth is, everything we could hope for, And more, it is a gentle response, humble, sincere and reassuring. But not only that, his response disperses all clouds of suspicion that may hang over Ruth's motives. Surely this response is evidence of the hidden hand of God of a God working through the faithful obedience of his people to bless and bring about his redemptive purposes. Look at verse 11. Boaz declares Ruth to be a worthy woman. Now that same phrase is used in Proverbs 31 verse 10. There it speaks of a wife of noble character. Boaz says, everyone knows the quality of Ruth's character. And nothing she has done has jeopardized that. On the contrary, look at what Boaz says in verse 10. He says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now the first instance of Ruth's kindness, or the chesed, the, the, the Hebrew word that is used here, a very significant word in the Old Testament. The first instance of Ruth's kindness, the Boaz is referring to, is found in chapter 1. It's Ruth's chesed, her kindness she shows towards her mother-in-law see there naomi said to her two daughters go return each of you to your mother's house may the lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me see ruth's kindness is following naomi and showing faithful loyalty to her ruth is not Seeking marriage with Boaz out of her own interest. She's not in it for love. She's not in it for status. She's not in it for wealth. Those things could be found in the young men of Bethlehem. The young men of Israel. Instead she approaches the kinsman redeemer and proposes marriage to him so that she might produce a son by him for Naomi, her mother-in-law, who, as we saw in chapter one, is too old to bear a child. But is in no doubt that Ruth had other options. If she wanted, she could have found love, status, and wealth by marrying one of the young bucks of Bethlehem. He's in no doubt that she could have had that if she wanted to, if she wanted to chase after that. But instead, out of faithfulness to Naomi, she put aside her other options and sought to find her future in her Redeemer. the scene finishes with Boaz once again protecting and providing for Ruth. He protects her physically by saying, look, remain tonight. He doesn't send her straight away out into the darkness to make her own way up to Jerusalem where she would again be vulnerable to others. He says, remain tonight. Lie down till morning in verse 13. He also protects her reputation in verse 14. He says, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He's not willing to put her in a situation where there might be whispers about what really went on there. He also provides for her Physically, he loads her up with 35 to 40 kilos of grain and sends her home to her mother-in-law. He also provides for her emotionally. He guarantees her redemption. He says, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. He once again shows himself to be a worthy man. But just when it looks like everything is sorted, just when it looks like Ruth has been truly blessed and it's smooth sailing from here, there is an unforeseen complication. Seems there is someone else who is a nearer relative than Boaz. See in verse 12. It is true, I'm a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Could you imagine Ruth's heart here? She's laid it all on the line. She's sought out the worthy man. Man of noble character. He's protected her. He's provided for her. And then he says, actually, there's someone else. What sort of bloke is he going to be? She's found the righteous one, the worthy man. And now she's told there is another who could jeopardize everything. When she returns to her mother-in-law, Naomi has some advice for her daughter-in-law. She says to Ruth, you wait while he works. You wait while he works. A couple of things that would do us well to know us as the curtain draws to a close on chapter 3. Firstly, in verse 17, where Ruth relays Boaz's words to Naomi, where she says that Boaz had said to her, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. This statement is a promise of redemption by Boaz. It points us both to a contrast in the past but also a completion in the future. Its contrast is found in chapter 1, verse 21, where we're told that, where Naomi says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Its completion will have to wait for next week, chapter 4, verse 16. But we can anticipate its completion now because through Boaz's statement that Ruth must not go back empty-handed to her mother-in-law we see the Lord working behind the scenes to bless and bring about his redemptive purposes see six measures is not the completion of her redemption they're just the promise of it Ruth waits, the redeemer does the work to secure her rest. While this is a complication in Ruth's quest to find rest, did you know there's also a complication in our quest for rest? Complication for us friends is that we are not like Ruth. We are not worthy people. We don't just operate under a cloud of suspicion. We are sinners. We are far from faithful. Time and again, we selfishly run after the things that serve our own interests. We're not worthy of favour. We're guilty of sin. Our sin is the barrier. It's that complication that is in the way of our marriage to a redeemer. And it is not a barrier that we can overcome ourselves. We need the redeemer to do the work on our behalf. Friends, Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus has the position and the power to be your Redeemer. Not just that, He has the will to do it as well. Listen to His call to you from Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is the great redeemer of the world, friends. We don't have to sneak up by night under cover of darkness and come to him and ask, will you? Unsure of what the response will be? He's the one that stands there and calls, come to me. He is calling that to us Today, come to me, and we need to take a leaf out of Ruth's book. We need to come humbly and honestly before the Redeemer. We need to come knowing exactly who we are we are a servant coming to the Master. We are the poor coming to the one who is rich. We need to acknowledge that there is nothing in ourselves that makes us deserving of his favour. We also need to be upfront with what we need from Jesus. We need to be up front throw ourselves at his feet and plead for mercy. And friends, if we do this, Jesus' response will be gentle, humble, sincere and reassuring. Jesus will do what you ask friends he promises to redeem you and we don't have to have any niggling thought in the back of our minds saying oh now the the work is up to him will he succeed friends we're actually unlike Ruth we do not come to Jesus wondering if he will succeed Lord friends The Lord has succeeded. We come to Jesus knowing the work of redemption has been done. All we have to do is ask. And he will say yes. Have you asked that of him yet? What is keeping you from asking that of him today? Yes, it'll take courage. It'll take vulnerability, friends. But know who you're coming to. You're coming to the one who has succeeded, who has secured your redemption, and longs to redeem you if only you would ask. So why not come to him today? Come honestly, come humbly. And ask Jesus to redeem you. If that is something you want to do, I invite you just to take some time as we close our service, just quietly in your own heart, just as you, before the Lord Jesus Christ, come humbly and honestly and ask him to be that worthy man for you. If there's something you'd like to chat about further, Grab me over morning tea. I'd love to have a chat. Why don't we pray now? Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the audacious plan that you set in motion. The plan that wasn't one who was poor, coming to the rich. It was the one who is all making himself poor to achieve our redemption. Lord Jesus, we thank you for laying it all on the line for us. For doing what we could not do ourselves. Knowing exactly who we are. Yet choosing to show favour on those who do not deserve it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words. Your call for us to come. To come just as we are, to come to you and receive rest for your souls. And Lord, I pray for all of us who are hearing this this morning, that your Holy Spirit will be at work. We will not leave this place with a barrier, with a complication in place. That so we'd hear your call this morning and respond. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his completed work and the union we have.